0: So I just want to say that I was really encouraged uh, just now. That's a, I love those words, forever we are changed by your love. It's a, a powerful line and I felt like a lot of you knew that song because I could really hear the voices coming from behind me and uh, I find that always to be the most encouraging thing in a worship setting when we can kind of get that feeling of community in worshiping together. That's why we worship together. We could sing songs at home by ourselves, but there's we're called to and there's power in singing and worshiping and giving God glory together. And so it was cool to I don't know, I guess over here it's like really dense and you guys could really hear each other singing, whether good or bad. That's why I sit over here by myself. So nobody can hear the horrible singing. But I'm encouraged by that, and so I just wanna share that with you. That I think God is at work here and God is speaking to us and working in our hearts when we're gathered together in His name. Let me just also say from me, welcome to Church at Five. If this is your first time here especially. And this is uh, the English service of Calvary Chapel. We're a part of this uh, whole uh, Calvary Chapel, Freiburg, and, and all of the ministries. Um, but we have, as we looked at last week, a vision and a purpose. And that's why we do things the way we do it here. If you don't know, I'm Brandon. I'm the service pastor here for this service. Now, before we get into our topic and our text for today, let me just do a quick couple of quick announcements. One is our welcome cards. I always like to let you guys know if you're new here or to just keep pestering you if you just uh, haven't done it yet, to consider joining the team or being a part of the community here and maybe uh, taking another step. Uh, We have the team is everybody who's on the stage helping with the setup, the teardown. We also do barbecues and team uh, kind of meetings and and gatherings where we worship and pray together. Um, We believe in kind of taking that step and saying, hey, I I, I don't want to just come and fill a seat. I really want to be involved. And if you feel like this is your community, I'd really encourage you to, to consider doing that. Whether it's this service or any of the services here in Calvary Chapel, being involved in your church is important we're called to do that you can fill out one of these cards and let us know what areas you might be interested in and we'll kind of get you in contact with the right people uh, to get involved Uh, another announcement There are my announcements um i mentioned this uh, the last few weeks and i want to kind of put it out as this is the last opportunity today if you'd like to be baptized if you've never been baptized and you say hey i'm a christian but i've never been baptized I really, really want to encourage you to come and talk to me after the service. At least let me kind of explain a little bit more about what baptism is, and we'll kind of maybe want to set up a meeting with you during the week where we can sit down and go through why it's important. We see this in Scripture. Every time they were the were added to the number of believers, they were immediately baptized. And so we believe in that here, and we're going to be doing that on November 25th, I believe. I didn't write that down, so... I don't know if there's a slide, but anyway. Yeah, okay, getting confirmation. It's November 25th. Uh, but we do want to make sure we we don't just want to... You can't just like come up and jump in the water and say, Ah, oh, yes, baptized. We want to meet with you. We want to talk to you about your, your faith and, and what you believe and why baptism is important and what you're actually doing when you do it. So that's why today's the last chance to... Kind of sign up for being baptized on the twenty fifth. So please let me know if you would like to know more information. You can also fill out the card, and uh, we will get in contact with you this week. Uh, but you can also just come and talk to me personally. Uh, last announcement: Herbstfest. Do we have a slide for that? There is probably one somewhere on the computer because I never say this word right. Uh, so Herbstfest is like basically autumn fest. Doesn't sound as nice. But anyway, it's going to be this Friday at B... Man, wow. It's so weird I've only said b norm can It sounds weird to say W-29. <laughs> doesn't really work in English, does it? But uh, it's uh, it's a road, Wissenthalstrasse 29. It's here in Freiburg, kind of over near Verbonne. And uh, it's another building we have. It's where our youth meets and stuff, if you didn't know. And if you're part of Calvary Chapel, you're welcome to come. We, it's going to be food, and I think there might even be some games I've heard rumors of. I don't know. It's always fun. The food is always nice. And uh, fellowship, and hanging out together, and just celebrating this time of year together as a church. So we want to do that, and that's going to be on Friday. You, if you want to know more information, I think... Okay, no, there's not a slide. It's okay. It's at 5 p.m. It starts at 5 p.m., goes till probably whenever... No, it won't go that late, but uh, it's fun, and I really would encourage you to do it. We want to not just meet on Sundays, meet in our services. We want to do life together, and that's why we do these fests throughout the year. So I encourage you to check that out And if you want to know more information. There's also information, I think, down on the info table, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, you can also ask anybody with a badge, and they will get you that information if you want to go. So... Today is part five in our current series. Our series is titled, Standing Out in a Foreign World. And this is because this is the key topic, this is the kind of a, the proper heading, I think, for the letter of First Peter, which we've been making our way through somewhat slowly. We're still in chapter one, not even through chapter one yet. But it's a good, powerful uh, book That teaches us and shows us ways that we are meant to live. How our life is supposed to look as believers and foreigners here in this world. Because what? We're citizens of heaven. We don't belong to this world, but we're in this world. And so how do we live? How do we navigate our everyday life? And he's going to get more and more practical in the following chapters. But he's really been taking his time, and we've been taking our time too, going through chapter 1 where he kind of sets these precedences first of what it means. How can we get to the practical if we don't understand the motivation? We don't understand the why behind what we're doing. And that's what we're going to be continuing to look at today. And I want to remind you guys that this is God's Word. This is God's Word. It's given to us today through the Apostle Peter over 2,000 or almost 2,000 years ago. And this, what we're going to be looking at today, is a very compact and rich passage that I fully believe God wants to use today to reveal things to us about himself and about the nature of our relationship with him. So I want to encourage you to open your hearts, open your minds, and be ready for what God has to say to you this evening. Let's start by reading the text. So we're in 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 13 through 21. I always encourage you to read along with me. I think it's going to be on the screen, but you can also bring your Bibles if you want to church. It's it's an idea. So let's read this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed Before we go further, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you, Lord, for your word that we can read together, learn from, grow from together today. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts, that we would receive what you have to say to us through this text. And Lord, that every word that I speak, every word that comes from my lips, would be your truth alone in Jesus' name and to your glory, Amen. Now, I find this to be a very interesting flow of text. We see this kind of back and forth, and this is just the beginning. Uh, 1 Peter is pretty famous for having almost more commands than most of the New Testament books, at least for its size. It has a lot of commands, and we see a lot of commands right here in these few verses. But we also see this kind of flow back and forth between a, these, this uh, feel of command of what we should do and how we should do or what we shouldn't do. But then mixed in is this kind of reason or logic to why, would we, why we would do that, why we would uh, obey or follow these commands. So let's look at some of these commands. I'm just going to go very, very quickly here. So we have this idea, this idea of being alert, being fully sober in our mind. We have this command to set our hope, to set our hope. To set our focus, if you will. To fix our eyes on something. To not conform, but to be as obedient children. To be holy in all that we do. And to live out your time as foreigners with reverent fear. There's this commanding feel. And I know today we live in a time when we tend to try to avoid commands. It kind of feels uncomfortable. Especially certain types of commands or Phrases, I think, that are, we find here, things like obedience, being obedient, sober-minded, living in reverent fear. These can be uncomfortable at times, but these commands are filled with hope, and they're orchestrated out of God's love, as I believe we will see as we go through the text in depth. So verse 1, or the first part of verse 1, says, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. This is what he, This is his beginning. This is what he's setting, setting as the stage for what he's going to get into. And I think that we always see imperatives or commands, if you will, of the Christian life, of Christian living, always begin with a therefore all through the New Testament. We'll see a lot of therefores in the rest of this book as well. Meaning... In light of everything I've said so far, all that I've gone through, here is what you should now do with that truth. And remember everything we looked at, therefore, do this. This is why I set that first. And Peter opened his letter with celebrating the wonders of God's salvation through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. We saw with the sprinkling of the blood. We are called for, what? Obedience to Him. He celebrated the resurrection, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the election of God, and that's just in the first two verses. And then he goes and elaborates more in the uh, verses, especially in verse 3 through 9 we looked at, uh, the week before last. So we see this kind of celebration of, of the work of God, and that's, The premise, that's the point, that's the hope. We have to get that first. We have to consume that first. So he's saying, because you have been given this, because you've been shown all this great hope, therefore, now go out and live it. And here now we're going to look at the beginning of what that looks like. The first tools we have in living out a life for God based on what we know in our salvation. First, we need to gain our, an understanding of the hope we have in Christ. Everything centers on Everything comes back to Christ. We have to first grasp that in our hearts. And throughout the letter... We're going to as I said, we're going to see more and more commands of how to practically live out our lives as Christians. He's going to get very detailed and explicit in some situations, but intermingled throughout the letter, he never drifts far from giving a continual exhortation and reminders of the reality of our redemption and the promise we have in Christ. So we can never drift from that. We can never drift. From that, This is because our strength is derived from this truth of the salvation we have in the Lord through Jesus Christ. When it stands at the forefront of our minds and, and of our lives and we put that into everyday practices, it becomes a part of our nature, a part of our understanding of reality. We see dramatic transformation in our life. In the way we live and, and what we pursue in our lives is transformed when Christ and our understanding of Christ is at the center. So that's his first command. Or that's the first thing I want to point out is this therefore. So don't forget everything we've already looked at. And that's why we're recapping that a little bit. Then he says that with, you need to have minds that are alert and fully sober. This command sets the precedence of the importance of what Peter is going to be unpacking and unlocking and explaining throughout his letter. This isn't just casual TV binge-watching, something on in the background. He's saying, be alert, be sober-minded, focus on what, I'm going to be, what we're going to be getting into. We are to be fully sober. Now, he's talking about, I think, primarily spiritual awareness, spiritual sobriety where we, are, we have a clear mind. And I think that sober, though, is a good thing to kind of take a little side piece on, a little side trail. Because we need, there's, there's kind of a, an analogy that we can build here and a practical application that we are also called to be physically sober, right? We're not supposed to live in drunkenness because we want to keep our minds sharp. Now, I don't believe that alcohol is some evil thing that should be demonized and as it sometimes is in our minds and in our cultures. As I've heard many times, that's not what I'm saying and that's not what I believe. There's going to be wine at the table that that we're invited to when we sit with Christ. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. But we are called to live sober lives. And what that really comes down to is being alert, being ready, keeping our hearts as well as our minds sharp. And alcohol is a good analogy because it dulls and slows the connections, the interactions of our brain. That's not... That's science. It dulls us. It dulls our senses. Drunkenness dulls our sense and our connection to reality. And I think this is a really good example, both practically but also spiritually as an example. or Because in a word, what it does, what it produces is fantasy. It distances you from the real world. And this is important because... A sober mind is a gospel-centered mind because the gospel is the exact opposite. In the gospel, God gives us revelation. It isn't a dulling of reality. It's a heightened or hyper sense of reality. A deeper understanding of the motivations of why things are the way they are and a deeper understanding of the real workings of what's going on around us. This revelation and heightened sense of reality is also, also sometimes referred to as Christian realism. It's deeper awareness. It's seeing that sin is sin. Knowing that there is an enemy out there that is seeking to destroy us. But it's also knowing how the story will end and fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's seeing the work of God all around us and being filled with the hope we have in Him, the joy and the peace at the love we've received through Christ. We never want to find ourselves dulled to this true reality, spiritually or physically, in our spirit or in our mind. So a sober watchfulness grows out of a life, I believe ultimately out of a life of prayer. And it causes us to be alert to the assaults of the enemy, the devil who seeks to destroy us, and to look toward an eternity in the presence of God through Jesus. So we want to be watchful, be alert, be ready. Which leads us to our next command. Set your hope. Let's read the rest of verse 1. Set your hope. And a lot of translations uh, say set your hope fully or firmly, which I like better, so I'm adding that. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is about decisive, purposeful, clear-cut action. Set your hope firmly, fully, completely on what? On the hope we have in Christ's return. In Christ's return. Not just on the hope we have in the cross, not just on the hope that we have in our relationship with God through Christ or the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, but on on what's to come. Set your hope on that. Firmly, fully. Because it's something that is definite and can be trusted in. What I mean by that is Jesus is coming again. And there is a fixed day no one but God himself knows when Jesus will come and be revealed to the world in all his glory and splendor. That's what we believe. That's Christianity, and it's a pinnacle and important part of Christianity. We can't forget it. We can't say, well, does it really matter? Do I really need to think about it? Man, Peter is saying, before he gets into the practical, he says, this is what you set your hope on. That he's coming again. That Jesus will be revealed. This is where we set our hope. This is where we fix our gaze when we look to Christ. Setting our hope on this truth is more than just an attitude that we try to cultivate. And what I mean by that is it's not something that we simply try really hard to hope in. It is a reality to be recognized. It is a reality to be recognized. We can't just try to work on our hoping in God and then change our attitude toward Him or the way we live. It goes the other way. Hope in God. Setting our hope on what's to come. Our hope in God is a response to the work of God. It's a response to the work of God. And I can put my hope in that because I know it is. Not maybe, it is. And the question is, do you believe? Peter puts us at the beginning. Let's, we, we need to ask ourselves these questions. What do I believe about this? Do I believe that Christ is coming again and that we are to receive the full portion of grace? He says the grace being brought to you. It's promised to us at our salvation. And today we know that in our salvation we are justified before God. We're being sanctified through the Holy Spirit. And we're glorified. We we know these things. He puts it even at the beginning of his letter. But on that day, we could tie this in with Philippians, the work that he began in us will be completed. On that day, that work will be completed. We will no longer struggle or have to fall short over and over again the work will be complete and that is something that should be an assurance and a joy in us and that's something to set your hope in do you believe it knowing this and letting it be the object of your hope is vital the promised grace that is being brought to us at the revelation, at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on that. What else does he tell us? Do not conform. So we're setting our hope ahead, but there's also, we're still here. We're not there yet. The work isn't complete. We're surrounded by ourselves. We're surrounded by our human nature and the people that we've surrounded ourselves with that sometimes can influence us in a naked way. What does he say? Do not conform. Let's read verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And I'm going to go translation way again. The translation I, I usually read, is it says uh, children of obedience instead of obedient children, which is closer to the Greek. And I like that better because then the phrase really has... It implies that the obedience... or that, that obedience is like our parent. That we are children of obedience. And I think that fits better with the image that Peter is trying to convey. Because this is, the, this is to say that you've heard the truth. okay? You know what Christ has done. You understand the truth. That Jesus is your Lord... And now you have made obeying him, you have made obeying him an authority in your life. You've made obeying him an authority in your life. You are children of obedience. We are no longer under sin and the weight and the destruction of sin. We don't need to conform. What, what does the word say? We are new creatures in Christ. Jesus, the old is dead, it's gone, something in the deepest parts of who you are has been radically transformed, it takes a while for it to catch up to the rest of us, but something deep in you has been changed, you've been given the Holy Spirit, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, and therefore, let's give put another therefore in there, create our own You are no longer a slave to your former desires of your flesh or your sins. We do not need to submit or conform to them anymore. So don't conform because you don't have to. Don't conform to the way you were because you're free from that. We are free and as such we are called to live as children of obedience. This, at its core, is summed up simply in what Christ gives us as the greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that. It really can be boiled down to something that simple. We could obviously go deeper and deeper and deeper. but That's a great place to start. What is obedience? Just love the Lord your God. Not just a little bit. Don't give him some of the piece of your pie. Give him everything you have. Give him all of your heart. And I think out of that, you, by default, love the people around you. And I want to encourage you not to be overwhelmed by this. Don't feel like you're, well, you don't know, man. I just, I can't see victory in in the sin of my life. I had, Understand how that is to struggle again and again with the same desires, the same sins, the same things that drag you down over and over again. Our victory has already been won, and it belongs to you through Jesus. It doesn't mean you won't fall short. It doesn't mean you may battle with it all your life, but there will be a day where you won't anymore. When the work is complete, and that is where we set our hope. It's all connecting. It's like it's been written on purpose. God has a plan, a purpose, and He's bringing you to completion. So don't feel overwhelmed if you're struggling with the same sin over and over again. You are made new and you belong to Christ. So with eyes fixed on Him and His return, Be transformed by the hope you have in Him through the love you have received from Him. And then it gets a little bit heavier. Be holy. Be holy. Verse 15 and 16. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's from Leviticus, that quote. Be holy. Now we could go really deep into God's holiness, but in a very simplified version of what God's holiness is, it's his perfection. In all of its ways, perspectives, it's his perfection. His complete righteousness. He is holy. And we as his people are called also to be holy because he dwells within us. Now God, this isn't a new thing. God called the Israelites to be holy. That's where that was uh, first spoken, where that was quoted from, that Peter's quoting. And this was because God dwelt amongst them. They represented God to the other nations. So he says, be holy because I am holy. And this is why there were so many demanding practices of ceremonial cleansing And ultimately, we can look back and see now that there was a symbolism for holiness in all of that. It all represented their spiritual defilement. So they had to go through all of these things. There were sacrifices and rituals. Even the soldiers were required to carry a shovel to keep the camp pure. And I'll let you figure out what they were burying with those shovels. They had to keep things clean and pure, and it was all an image and a symbol for holiness. But God revealed to Peter, He revealed to all the apostles throughout the New Testament, but as we're looking at Peter, he revealed to Peter in Acts that the practices of ceremonial cleansing had been fulfilled through Christ. And now there didn't we didn't need to have all of these different ceremonies and And sacrifices to become holy before God are pure. Because we're not holy. We never will be. We're made holy because of the blood of Christ. When God looks at us, he looks through Christ. And he sees his blood that paid for the holiness that we can receive. But I want to elaborate on this now the the true fruits of holiness are found in an obedient life not your holiness is found in an obedient life don't misunderstand me you're not made holy by your actions you're made holy by Christ but the fruit of a holiness of that holiness that you've received is found in an obedient life so be holy because I am holy can we ever hope to truly be holy holy Of course not. We fall short. So what he really means here, I think, in living out an obedient life, in being holy in all that we do, is found in verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. How can we seek to live a holy life? First, I want to be clear, it's out of the love we have from God and our relationship with Him. What does he say? Since you call on a father, a father, not just Lord, not just a king, father and that is only because of his love he loved us so much right that he gave his son to die for us and in that we now can come to him and call him father and he calls us son and daughter that is out of love a love that we can never fully fathom or fully appreciate in all of its splendor and glory it is first out of God's love for us that we can live a holy life because of what we've received. And it is He, it is Christ ultimately that judges us. So our holy, perfect, righteous, and loving Father is also our judge. And he looks impartially on all of his children. He looks at us all. There's, it doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, what your educational background is. That, that, he doesn't care about those things. He looks at us at our heart, at the motives behind what we do, at the reasons behind what we do. And I want to be clear here. I see very clear in the New Testament that we will as believers, stand before him to give an account for our lives. Now, not, because, not to prove ourselves to him or to merit our salvation, we are covered by grace and our sins have been wiped away. But there still is the question of what have you done with that? What have you done with what you've been given? What have you done with the grace that you've received? With the salvation given to you? God says, I sent my son to die that you might live. That you might come to me and call me father. What have you done with that? What we do today, the moments of our lives now, will echo and matter into eternity. He says, live out Your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. I want to talk about fear because it's something that can be misunderstood. And we can tend to lean either way too much to one side or to the other. And I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. as what we see in scripture. We do not want to have an unhealthy fear of the Lord. We don't want to be scared by his presence. We don't want to fear him or be terrified by him when we are in sin and feel like we need to hide ourselves in shame as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Because we can come boldly into his throne room. We can come before him anytime We can enter his presence. We long for his presence because that's where our holiness lies in our connection, our relationship with him through the blood of Christ. So we don't want to have an unhealthy fear that pushes us away from God or makes us feel like he's going to hit us with a stick. But at the same time, we do want to have a healthy fear, a reverent fear, seeing him as a good and just and loving father that longs to lead us and guide us in our lives. He is a God that wants to see us grow and move forward. He's finishing a work in you. He's working on you. Though we will never be perfect in this life until that po- point of completion, He lovingly urges us on. And we, as children of obedience, should long to see Him pleased with us. And that, I believe, is where reverent fear lies. This is obedience reverent fear of the Lord that we would long to see our lives lived in such a way that we bring pleasure to the heart of God and joy to his spirit that he may look on us and say well done good and faithful servant man you did good you took what I gave you and ran with it reverent fear this is This is about the fear of pleasing a loving parent. Some of us have bad examples of parents in our lives. So don't take them as an example. This is about a loving parent. One who only wants to see you you better and growing. We want that kind of fear. Knowing that he will never love us any less or any more based on our actions. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. Nothing you can do, nothing can separate us from the love of God. As Christians, we do live free from the fear and shame that the world tries to put on us, that the devil tries to put on us. But there is such thing as a healthy fear in how we live and to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. There will be a day when we stand before Him and give an account. And this should bring us hope and joy that we would be with Him in eternity, but it also brings accountability. And this is what is meant by reverent fear. Accountability to what we've been given. If we are to stand before God... Can we have hope? Can we have anything but dread apart from Christ? Of course not. But some have taken this to mean that it simply can't be, that we won't stand before God to give an account for our lives, but I believe the New Testament is clear on this. Jesus is our final judge. And this means our judge is also our Savior. And that's good news. at that final judgment we know we are already justified by the work that was already completed we were the moment Jesus said it is finished on the cross at that point we were fully justified forgiven, called, redeemed and completely set free in Him so when we talk about God's judgment we talk about standing before Him we're talking about We're not talking about earning or meriting our salvation. We're talking about giving an account. Being held accountable. The question becomes, were we faithful with what we were given? Did we do the minimum of the ministry that we were called into? Or did we seek to surrender ourselves fully to what God has called us to do? Where is your storehouse? Where are you storing up your treasure? In the bank? In your possessions? In your relationships? In how many friends or followers you have online? Or are you truly seeking to store up your treasure in heaven? Where moth and rust cannot destroy. Where there is no such thing as an unfriendly button. This comes out of a healthy fear of the Lord. I thought of this analogy, I like to go climbing, or I like to go climbing, I haven't been in like way too long, but something that I've learned in climbing, that fear plays a a really vital role in climbing well and climbing wise. If someone has an irrational fear of heights, they're not going to be a very good climber. It will lead to erratic behavior, it will cause them to make mistakes They're going to cling on too hard to things they need to let go of and they're not going to be able to move forward. This is the fear of trying to live the perfect life to earn God's salvation, to earn God's love out of our own strength. This is legalism. And it petrifies and prevents forward movement. You get stuck and you think, well, I've made it to here, I'm just going to hold on. As long as I keep my strength, as long as I hold on tight enough, that's what irrational fear will produce. That's having a terror of God, being afraid of Him. We don't need that. And on the other hand, I want to be clear if you have no fear of heights, it's also going to lead to mistakes with climbing. Again, you're putting it on yourself. I can do no wrong. And this is an over-liberal view of salvation. To believe that, well, now I've got my ticket into heaven so I can do whatever I want. Because God loves me unconditionally. I don't have to change. He loves me as I am now, so I don't have to grow. And that's not real salvation. And if that's your belief, you may be in danger of not even having a real relationship with him at all. You may not be tethered to the line. And when you do go further than you should, when you do push yourself further than you should, that rope won't be there to catch you. A healthy fear, on the other hand, causes one to be purposeful, to be alert, to be sober minded. With every mov- movement, every moment, And ultimately, this leads to the greatest joy and pleasure in climbing because you do it well. This is a healthy, reverent fear of the Lord, knowing that our actions will be examined someday, meaning there is accountability, there are consequences. I need to be careful when I'm climbing up this hill, I have to be cautious, I have to be alert. but we also know that we have a safety rope. And I know that it's tied well. It's secure. I know I will be caught. So I will fall. I will fail. But that rope will catch me. I'll not be completely defeated. I will not be destroyed. And I can live free in that. I can take risks. I can reach for that thing, that that grip that might be just a little bit further than I thought I could go. Because I know that if I don't make it, I'll be caught. I can pursue a holy life in all that I do. Because I am con- I am covered by the grace of Christ's work on the cross. And it will always catch me. It will never, ever fail me. That is the healthy, reverent fear of the Lord. I can just get back up. I can keep going. Fixing my eyes on Christ again. In closing, I want to read, or starting to close, we'll read verses 18 through 20, just to get through all of our text. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And we looked at that last week, how uh, that out of all of history, all of the history of uh, Israel and and there was all these all the prophecies there was these images these glimpses of what was to come that there would be a promised messiah but they didn't get the whole picture and yet today we live in a time we live in the new covenant where we get to see the whole thing we see clearly and that's something that should bring us great joy he says for your sake he was revealed in this time and that's something that should bring joy to our heart and then he says you were you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. Now, he's talking about kind of the, the pagan um, rituals that, were, that they had been kind of practicing. But I think there's more to this that can really apply to our lives today. From our earthly fathers and mothers, we've inherited all kinds of symptoms that are built into our DNA, built into our flesh where the father was abusive and then his son is abusive and then his son is abusive and we see these traits go through families all the time and I just want to take a moment to say that we have been freed from that. We have a heavenly father and from him we've received the gospel. We've received the gift of Christ and we can receive that instead. We are to imitate God our father in our hearts, and it is out of our hearts that our holy lives will flow. It's based and centered on love. His love for us transforms us in our hearts, and it frees us from the bondage and burdens of inherited traits as well. We are simply imitating the love we've received by, the God, by God's grace in saving us and pouring his Holy Spirit into us. So we're free from those things. And from this we see holiness for us is then derived from what? The lamb. The lamb without blemish. As I said earlier, that wiped away all of the rituals that needed to be done before with one Sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And so we can be holy in sanctifying Christ in our hearts as our Lord today. We were brought, we were bought at a great price the price of Christ's blood. The only way we can ever hope to live holy or even have the desire to live holy is when we belong to God. And we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord. To reject this truth, to reject this truth leads to a life that tramples on the gift, on the precious gift of Christ's perfect, innocent blood that was spilt for us. We can never hope to save ourselves. That's the image he's trying to paint paint with the silver and gold. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of uh, good works. There's no amount of anything you can do or give that can compare. It is only by the perfect gift. A life had to be given, had to be ransomed, and that payment was satisfied in Christ alone. And Christ's blood breaks all the chains. It defeats both our past and the dread of a doomed future. And it replaces these with redemption from our past and a hope in the future that we can fix our eyes on. In closing, let's read the last verse. Through him you believe in God. So it is through Christ that we believe in God. I love this verse. It's very deep. It is through Christ that we believe in God. And God is the one who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. And it goes back to what he says at the beginning, that it was out of God's foreknowledge that you belong to Christ, that you were called, that you were elected, as he calls them the elect. We see this coming back to this plan of God. God has a purpose. God knows what he's doing. He's behind everything. So your ultimate hope, everything you fix your, your eyes on when you look to Christ, your hope is in God. He is our judge. He is our redeemer. He calls us his children and we can cry Abba Father to him. I want to invite the band to come back up. It is a complex and dynamic relationship that brings reverent fear, complete submission, and indescribable joy and love through his grace. This is why our hope is in him. We're going to close with one last song. That's we're going to worship together. Before we do, I wanna we're going to take up our offering really quickly. I'll invite the ushers to come to the front. We, uh, we believe that giving is something that we do as an act of worship. It's not something that we're required to do or forced to do. It's something that we're invited to do. And so I would invite you now, if you have it on your heart, to give. For we do, we pray. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in this community, all that you're building here in this church and for this city. And I pray that you would bless this offering. And that it would be used to glorify you. And to further your kingdom here in this city. In Jesus name. Amen. So I want to invite you guys. You guys can pass the hats. And after the hats are passed. I want to invite you guys to stand and worship. As we do one last song. And I also want to invite you. If you need prayer today. As the last song is playing, I will be over here uh, and would be happy to pray with you. And also after the service, if you need prayer, please feel free to come to me or anybody who has a badge and we'd be happy to pray with you. 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That is our prayer, Father, this week. That you would be with us all, before us as our hope, with us in all that we do, that we may seek to live wholly before you. In Jesus' name, amen.